Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Okay, here's the biggest question you can ever ask yourself. What is it in your life that is calling you to change while you're calling for it to change first? Today, Mike Robbins is here to talk to us about how real change really happens. Mike is the author of three books, including Focus on the Good Stuff, Be Yourself, Everyone Else is Already Taken, and his latest in the focus of our talk today, Nothing Changes Until You Do, A Guide to Self-Compassion and Getting Out of Your Own Way. Mike contributes regularly to Huffington Post and Oprah.com and has been featured on several other popular magazines. He's been a guest on hundreds of TV and radio shows, including this one. And Mike brings his unique and in-depth insights to the topic of self-compassion and getting out of his own way. So be here. You're not going to want to miss any part of this show today. We're going to ask some really uh, good questions and get some really great answers. Mike, welcome to the Authentic Living Show. Thank you for being here today. Hey, Andrew, great to be back. Thanks for having me on. Oh, we're so glad. And, and your, show, your book, uh, I was saying this during the break, but your, sh- your book is just beautiful. I really love it. And one of the things I love most about it, Mike, is the fact that you're saying some things in this book that um, many of our traditional teachings don't say, and you're also saying things that sort of um, go a little bit differently than even some of the more uh, human potential movements uh, stuff that we're getting says. So I really yeah. appreciate that. Cool, thank you. Yeah, so I'm going to start with the toughest one, and I think this is toughest for all of us. You say a bad day for ego is a good day for soul. What does that mean? <laughs> well, you know, I've heard that saying a number of different times, and I, when I, what I wrote about in the book specifically um, was I heard Michael Beckwith <clears throat> on a radio show actually use that phrase, and, and right when he said it, it just hit me like right between the eyes. And it had me stop and pause and think about myself. And, you know, really it's about our egos get attached to all kinds of external things, right? How we look, what we do, what our, you know, reputation and perception of other people, all those things. And, you know, there are times in life, and we've all had experiences of this, and I wrote about a lot of those experiences from my own life in the book, is that when something happens that doesn't go so well or that we don't like or that our ego gets really, really upset and disappointed about, it can often be a great opportunity for us to learn and to grow and to deepen our own experience and go within, which is often what is called upon when we're dealing with difficult or challenging circumstances. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, do you believe, and this is going to be a little bit of an aside from that, but I think it's important to sort of walk through this because I think our listeners are going to be asking this question to themselves. Um, do you believe that it's essential for us to suffer before we can learn and grow? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think that's necessary. I think, you know, look, I think at some level the great saying, right, you know, there's pain in life, but the suffering part is optional. I mean, I think we choose, you know, to be human, there's a certain amount of pain that we're going to experience on the physical plane, absolutely. How much we end up suffering really depends upon us. And I think, you know, one of the places that I'm in in my own journey of growth and discovery, Andrea, is that much of my own growth up to this point in my life has come through pain and through difficulty and through some suffering, as I'm sure a lot of people listening to us can relate with. And what I've continued to look at and now feel like I'm starting to actually really practice some is like, hey, wait a minute, 
maybe we can actually grow through joy and through love and through peace. And not that it's an either or, but we don't have to necessarily set up difficulty and challenge and ultimately suffering in order to learn. But I think what happens for many of us, and this has definitely been true in my own life, is that until there's some pain or until there's ultimately some suffering, we're not paying attention. And so it does get our attention. So that's one way that we can move down deeper down our path of growth. It's not the only way, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And, and um, I, yeah, I wanted to clear that up because it's, it's difficult for us to think about in terms of our suffering. We want to make some kind of meaning out of it, but at the same time, we don't want to believe that's the only way we can get anything, else we'd have to be getting smacked every day. So, yeah. No, but I, I think another way to look at it, and I think of something else that you know I, I often think of and, and love many things that Michael Beckwith talks about, but I remember him saying another thing that's don't waste a good crisis. So if we are in the midst of something that's really difficult or challenging, and there may be people listening to us right now who are in the midst of a crisis of whatever kind, is that you can then use that as a way to learn and to grow. Because I think what happens is, so on the one hand, we don't have to suffer in order to grow, right? We can do it another way. But if we do find ourselves in a situation where we're suffering or we're challenged or things are difficult, the question then becomes how are we relating to those difficulties, Because what we have a tendency to do, even those of us who, quote, know better or are on our path, is that we have a tendency to feel like we're victims of the things that happen to us. Mm -hmm. And the challenge becomes, and this is one of the reasons why I wrote this book this way, and I do share a lot of my own challenges and some of the things I've experienced in my life, not as a way to try to glorify them or to trauma share or anything like that, but I do feel like one of the access points for us to get through whatever's going on and get to the next level of our growth is to be real. And so in the world at large, there's a tendency for us not to get real because we're supposed to polish it up and look a certain way and act a certain way. And then even those of us who step onto our spiritual path or our growth journey, there's even a way we're supposed to be inside of there. And what tends to get lost sometimes in that is even if I consider myself to be an open-minded, evolved person, sometimes I get hung up on the most superficial, stupid, ridiculous thing possible. But if I'm hung up on it in that moment, that's what's going on. And if I don't face it and deal with it, it's not going to just simply go away by me ignoring it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that, that yeah, I want to really talk about that, what does it mean to be real uh, a little bit more because I, I think that, you know, we don't want to say it's real to just say, well, I want to wear blue jeans everywhere and go barefoot, I, right. I, I, even though I might feel like that. It, <laughs> it, 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 is, it is something much deeper, much more resonant with you know, inside of us so that we can get clarity about that. But what you're saying there and, and what you just said, and if I've got this right, is that, you know, um, if we are going through something, denying it is not helping us to get through it. Right. And that's where it can be problematic. I mean, of course, you know, our thoughts create things, our thoughts, you know, we create our reality, absolutely. But I think sometimes we can sort of go in that direction to our own detriment. Because I think at some level, look, it's like what Byron Katie says, right? I love this quote. I use it all the time. Is that when you argue with reality, you lose, mm-hmm. but only 100% of the time. <laughs> so we've got to start with one of the most important paradoxes, I think, of life and growth is that until we fully accept and surrender to what's true and what's so in any given moment, we can't actually make any positive change. And that's really one of the core messages of this book is that nothing really changes until we change. And when we change, fundamentally, everything changes. 
And as simple of an idea as that is, we spend and waste a lot of time and energy trying to change people and circumstances and situations and things outside of ourselves, forgetting that the source of it really comes from us. Yes, yeah, so there's, there's a kind of a paradox here, um, yep. and that's, that's one of the things I want to really focus in on because it can be really confusing. I have literally had clients come to see me and say, you know, I know that nothing changes till I do, and I'm working so hard on changing, and I'm doing all these affirmations, and I'm yep. working my vision boards, and I'm doing all this stuff, and I'm trying to change. And, I'm, and so what's wrong with me? Why can't I make my life change? Right. And so what, what it becomes is I, there's something wrong with me. Yes. that I've got to get it fixed, and and that thinking doesn't help either. So I just kind of want to let yes. you talk about that well, for a minute. This is really important because cause I recently, so my own counselor, my own spiritual guide named Eleanor, who I talk a bit about in the book, she's, she's been so great. I've worked with her for the last couple of years, and a lot of the wisdom that I share in the book is actually stuff that's come from her in our sessions because I write and speak very much in a way that it's not all about me from a self-absorbed place, but I share my own process because I feel like, again, the more real and vulnerable and open I'm willing to be, the more relatable, the more universal it will be. But Eleanor said something to me about, I don't know, a year or so ago, and I really understood that there's a huge distinction between fixing and changing. And I had been using those words interchangeably in my own life and in general that fixing is coming from a place of shame. There's something wrong. There's something broken. I'm bad. I'm not good enough. Therefore, I need to fix something about myself. Changing is more about preference. And it's not just semantics, but we change in a very healthy way from a place of growth. I want to change, evolve, expand. Fix is just a different paradigm. So to the point of the person who comes to you says, wait, I've been doing all this, my affirmations, my vision board. Why aren't things the way that I want them to be? The thing that happens there, and I've had that experience in my own life as well, is that we're coming from a paradigm of trying to control life and control outcomes. That's not really the way that life works. We could do all the right things, say all the right things, have all the right... I'm standing in my office right now staring at my vision board. I can make the greatest vision board on the planet. That's not a guarantee that all those things are going to manifest in my life. It doesn't mean it has no value. It doesn't mean it's not important. But if we go into it from a perspective of, I'm going to do all these things, I'm going to follow all the rules that Andrea says or that Mike says or that some book says, and then if it doesn't turn out, then I'm going to be mad either at the process wasn't right or the person who taught me or there's something wrong with me. But that whole paradigm is, is the deeper issue than really the outcome. Yes, thank you. Yes, I think that's really very, very true. We have to really think about, you know, what we're, are we trying to change our outer life by changing our inner life, or are we just working on the process of, of elemental growth that comes about by being more and more real? Exactly, and that's the goal ultimately. And one of the things that's important to realize that what trust is about, and a lot of this, and this is like my own edge right now in my own life and my own growth is around trust, and what trust is is genuinely expecting a positive outcome, not the positive outcome, not the one I'm attached to that's going to happen every single time, guaranteed, and if not, I'm going to be upset. That's not real trust. That's actually a demand and a manipulation, if you will. Trust is consciously and genuinely expecting a positive outcome. And when we can live our lives from that place of trust, we can manifest and create things even greater than we can think of necessarily, but when we're coming from that place, our ego's demand is different than our heart's desire. 
And those two things are really important for us to take a look at. Am I coming from that place of ego? I want this outcome. And when it happens, then I'll feel validated. Then I'll feel like I'm successful. Then I'll feel like I'm a good person. And until that time, I'm going to sit back and hold out in allowing myself to experience that about myself because I don't have a love in my life or I don't have the finance, financial situation that I want or I don't have the health or whatever. I mean, and those things are big and important, but we set ourselves up with how we go about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And that's very well said. So, so okay, when, you, when we talk about this whole thing of change and you, you talked mm-hmm. in the book about focusing on what really matters, yeah. how, do we know, how do we know what really matters? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think we've got to constantly ask ourselves and reevaluate all the time. Look, Andrea, I don't know about you, but the same things don't matter to me in my life right now that did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I mean, I'm constantly changing and evolving. So are you. So is everybody. So in terms of knowing what matters, it's a constant inquiry into what matters to me now, what's important to me now, but at least being consciously aware of it. And the story that I share in that first chapter of the book on focusing on what truly matters is actually the story about my mother passing away back in 2011. And, you know, my mom got diagnosed in March and died in June of 2011, so just a few years ago, lung cancer. And it was very fast. It was very intense. And as I write about in the book, and I share a couple of different chapters in the book where I talk about that experience, and it was really painful as anyone who's gone through the loss of someone close, particularly a parent or someone significant, but it was also beautiful, as I've often experienced as well when I've had people close to me pass away. And one of the biggest realizations that I had, Andrew, from that whole experience of being with my mother as she died was the realization of how much of my time and my life I waste on things that just aren't that important. And one of the things that I do appreciate about death and being around death, as sad and difficult and painful as it can be, especially if the person dying is someone really close and someone that we love, is that it puts everything in perspective. And so much of the BS of life and so much of the superfluous stuff that I spend and waste time on, and I'm not even fully conscious that I'm wasting my time and energy on things, it becomes crystal clear in the face of that. And so I think what's important, without freaking ourselves out, the other big realization that I had when my mom was dying was I remember thinking to myself, I wonder what it's like for her knowing that she's going to die. And then I remember going, wait a minute, I know I'm going to die. I just don't know when. I mean, I hope it's a long time from now. And, you know, I want to be around to see my girls grow up and all kinds of things I want to experience. But I don't live with that conscious awareness all that often of my own mortality. And I think if we did in a healthy way, it would dramatically change the way we lived our lives. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That, that whole thing it allows us to really focus on what really matters. But I think what you were saying before, what, that, that distinction between ego desires and heart desires yes. really is sort of the crux of the matter when it comes to being real, um, that, that knowing what really matters is sort of like knowing ourselves. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and even when we look at some of our desires to ask a deeper question, you know, Eleanor asks me all the time, why do you want that? What is it really? You know, and she's been working with me a lot. You know, this book of mine literally just came out yesterday and we're like, I've been in this whole interesting process around this, like, I'm excited about it. It's my first book in five years, put it out there in the world. It's exciting. It's a vulnerable feeling. It's all these things, but it's like, 
ooh, wow, I really wanted to do well and I wanted to succeed. And so we've been having this conversation about, well, what is that? What does success mean? Well, there's no real specific. And the more that I think about it, the ego demand says, I want the book to sell X number of copies and all these things. The heart's desire is, what do I really want? I want to connect. I want to be having conversations like the one I'm having with you right now. Mm-hmm. And, and in all kinds of different places and situations where I have an opportunity to, to do what I love to do, which is talk about these things, and do it in a way that might help other people. So if I step back and I realize, and this, again, I'm using myself as an example, but everybody listening has their own version of this in their life. What do we get attached to? And it's not that the outcomes aren't important, but we get overly attached to the outcome and we forget why we want those things, right? It's like, well, why do you want to, you know, the things that people tend to talk about a lot, I want to lose weight, I want to make more money, I want to fall in love. I mean, and and they, they can be seen as superficial. Those things aren't superficial, they're important. But if we even ask ourselves more deeply, why do I want those things? Because I want to feel good about myself, because I want to feel connected and in love with another human being, because I want to have freedom and abundance in my life. Well, great. And how do we start creating that experience now and realize how much of that already exists in our life? And then how do we focus more on what we're really after instead of chasing the symbol of it? Because I think we spend and waste a lot of time and energy in our culture going after some of those external things, but forgetting why we're going after them in the first place. Yeah, and it's uh yeah, we're going to take a break right after this, but I I want to say it's kind of like looking for the method instead of the uh, the goal. I mean, if yeah. I want to win the lottery, I really want to win the lottery because it's going to give me something. It's not just the money itself. Right. So it's that kind of thing. Right. All right. Well, we're going to take a break now and we'll be back in just a few more minutes with more from Mike Robbins. Be here for that. See you in a minute. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. visionary be extraordinary be the change this is the seventh wave channel on the voice america network
You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back. And you know, most of you know that the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. Today, the college, as in the past month, has been announcing its uh, 2014 curriculum, which you're going to find pretty interesting if you go online at www.aiht.edu. The college is not offering you a great, is now offering you a greater variety of programs and more in-depth studies of the courses you choose. You already know that you can get a master's, a doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree at AIHT, but now at the doctoral level, we offer not only a PhD in all of our programs, but we offer a doctor of ministry degree in all of our programs as well. And in the holistic theology program, you can get a doctor of theology degree as well. But that's not all. The programs themselves have changed too. Now you can get a degree in holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. And that's still not all. Now we've added more depth to your education by offering a greater number of courses that start at the introductory level and move all the way to the advanced level. For example, in the holistic theology program, you can take Judaism 1, 2, and 3, with each level offering a greater depth of understanding. Or in the parapsychology program, you can take psychic skills 1, 2, and 3. Those are just a few of the examples. You can get the whole picture, again, by going to www.aiht.edu. Or if you'd like to talk directly to our admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find that mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality. Utilizing as your text writing teacher spiritual experts from all over the world, the coursework allows students to explore and find their own spiritual experience and path, as well as to become credentialed to bring their own unique gift to the world. So AIHT is changing the world one student at a time. Want to know more? Go to www.aiht.edu or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. Again, that's 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. So we've been talking today to Mike Robbins about his book just launched yesterday, Nothing Changes Until You Do, A a Guide to Self-Compassion and Getting Out of Your Own Way. And what we've been talking about is sort of how we begin to process of really even just beginning to think about how we might uh, get out of our own way and, and change us instead of waiting for life to change for us. So, uh, 
so I want to I want to say this thing, Mike. The the thing that I was most impressed with about your book was that you gave us in your book all kinds of permissions to cry, to embrace powerlessness, to talk about difficult things, to roll with life, all the stuff that we're basically being told not to do if we want to, <laughs> we want our lives to improve. Right. So you know, you think about oh gosh, if I cry or if I talk to people, then I'm not attracting those things that I want. I mustn't have a negative thought. You know, those right. kinds of things. So. Yeah, so talk some about that part of it. Well, I think, look, there's a difference between, um, as an example, there's a difference between whining and complaining on the one side and really vulnerably expressing ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I'm a big advocate of in my life, in my work, and you know this from reading my book, is permission. And, And I really need permission at times, if you will. Like, you know, it's like, can I have permission to not know what I'm doing right now? Can I have permission to feel like an idiot or whatever? You know, and again, it's not that we want to wallow in that, but allowing ourselves to express it. You know, the thing about human emotions is that they're not sustainable. We move through them. And we have this whole judgment and this hierarchy of certain ones are good and certain ones are bad and I shouldn't feel that. You know, I don't know how someone can say, I'm not going to get scared ever. And then just like, that's like, I'm not going to breathe. You know, it's like part of being human. So part of the process of permission is that like, I spent a lot of my life, especially as a child and an adolescent and in my young adulthood, and especially as a, as a boy and a teenage boy and a young man, thinking that like most people, but thinking there was something really wrong with me because I was so sensitive and emotional. And I looked around and it didn't seem to me like the other kids, especially the other boys and young men as I was like playing sports and doing all this stuff, it's like, maybe I'm crazy. Like these guys don't, you know what I mean? And I, and I think everyone, male or female, regardless of our age, like we've had, all had that experience at some point in our life. We look around and go, I think there's something really wrong with me. And I don't think anyone else is experiencing what I'm experiencing. But the reality is, well, yeah, we're all different and unique, but we're way more alike than we are different. And so my belief is that the more we can open up and get real about it, the more we're liberated, the more other people are liberated, and then we can actually move through some of this stuff to get to where we want to go to. But pretending we're putting you know, icing on top of mud doesn't make it a cake. We've got to really deal with what's there if we want to sort of clear it out and move to our next phase, whatever that looks like for us. Yeah, yeah, okay. So in order to do that, we have to have permission. We have to give ourselves permission to cry and embrace powerlessness and talk about difficult things. Absolutely. Go ahead. Well, and I I think we hold ourselves to a different standard in so many ways on various things. You know, just an example that just from my life literally today is I got an email this morning that came to me that is of a video interview that I did a couple weeks ago. It's a really cool interview, and I'm, I'm really happy about it and grateful that I got interviewed. And, you know, so it's this Internet sort of TV show, and it's a cool thing. And I look at it, and immediately as I look at the video, oh, gosh, I can't stand how I look in this particular video, right? And my little gremlin, a little voice in my head, and I read a whole chapter in the book about this because this has been something that I've been challenged by for a good part of my life is this, like, you don't look right, and you're ugly, and, you, you know, so that voice started going off in my head just this morning. And I was simultaneously feeling like, oh, I'm really excited about this interview, and it's going out to lots of people, and then at the same time, oh, gosh, I don't like how it looks. So what I did was I reached out to a good friend of mine, someone who I care about, someone who I trust, someone who trusts me. I've got a strong enough relationship with her that I just said, can you watch this for me, and let me just tell you right now what my gremlin is saying to me. And I listed out all the horrible things that were in my head to kind of get it out, not to dump it on her, but get it out of my head. 
And I said, you know, you can say whatever you need to say in response. I'm not fishing for anything, but just... And she responded back and said, it's probably not going to make you feel any better, but I actually think you look great, and I really liked it. And, I, you know, and she just gave me some feedback about some things and wasn't trying to... But in the process of doing that, Andrea, it was like something got released and liberated from me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not as though, again, if I went into a whole place, I can't admit that because I'll look really bad. And gosh, I've been working on this issue for a while. And when am I going to get over it? And I mean, that's a whole other set of self-judgment that we can have mm-hmm. instead of just being real about what's going on. And if we can figure out a way with ourselves, in our journal, in our meditation, with a friend, with a counselor, with someone that we trust, have the type of relationships, especially with ourselves, that we figure out how do we move through some of the negativity that shows up, no matter how long we've been working on it, no matter how many affirmations we've said, no matter how many books we've read, we're all human. And here's what I've learned most significantly writing this book in particular, Andrea, is that I think most of the things that we do in life are relatively easy. I mean, there's some things that are harder than others, and for us, depending on our personality and our skills and all of that, like, I actually didn't write a book for the last five years, even though I'd written two, because my experience of writing my first two books was that it was hard. It was hard to write. It was hard to promote. It was challenging. I I mean, I enjoyed a lot of it, but man, it was difficult. But I realized this about this particular book, and I think it's a more universal message, is that writing a book is actually relatively easy. Promoting a book, having this conversation with you, super easy and fun. The hardest part, dealing with myself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for all of us, whatever we're doing, whether it's our marriage, whether it's our job, whether it's our kids, whether it's, you know, any of the important things in life, balancing our checkbook and managing our finances. Like some of those things come easier to us than others based, again, on our personality and our skills. But I think the most challenging thing that we have to deal with most of the time as human beings is dealing with ourselves in relation to whatever it is we're doing. And if we can figure out a way to make peace with ourselves genuinely, doing whatever we have to do, even the stuff that requires a certain amount of effort and energy, even the stuff that there's a lot of moving parts and a lot of variables, all that, everything becomes way easier. And if we're not at peace with ourselves, it literally does not matter how talented we are. It does not matter what kind of external success we create. It's never enough, and it's never quite right, so to speak, if we're not at peace with ourselves. Right, absolutely. And, you know, I think that's so important because... I think when we try to say to ourselves, you know, I, I should be, I should, you know, I'm this age and I shouldn't be having this problem or yeah. I, I should, you know, I've already gotten past this or, you know, that kind of stuff. What we're doing is splitting ourselves off and we're not relating to ourselves. We're putting that part of us, that that voice that says you should yeah. in another place. And I had an experience, I'll, I don't mind sharing this uh uh, with our listening audience and you, Mike, to, that I had an experience about a month ago that was very similar to that, where I realized that without even knowing it, even though I'm the proponent of oneness and unity, you know, psychic yeah. unity, that I had been sort of putting this part of me over to the side, and I literally sort of did an act of imagination where I just imagined what she might look like sitting over there by herself, yeah. you know, not being able to be speak up without me saying, shut up, and <laughs> and I, I thought, oh, no, you need to be coming with me. You need to be with me in all of it. it. You know, even the surprises, even if something good happens and you're going, yeah, it didn't really happen. Even that, I want you with me. Come with me, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was just a really big, 
you know, powerful kind of uh, moment in my life where I began to go, oh, wait, I'm not, spirituality, you know, Robert Masters wrote the Spiritual Bypassing book, you may have read it, but yep. it has, talks about that whole process that we do to ourselves of shooting all over ourselves all the time where we just have so many, a thousand shoulds for every event. Right. Coming from all different directions. And what you're saying is those things, those messages are in there and trying to tell ourselves they shouldn't be in there is right. just as bad as the shoulds. Well, and again, it's just we're arguing with what's real and what's true. Now, we don't have to empower them. We don't have to turn our life over to them, right? right. Like whatever right. shoulds you have going on, whatever shoulds I have going on, it's really about being mindful and conscious of it. They're going to be there. And for some of us with certain things, with certain issues, with certain conversations, certain stories we've carried for a long time, it's not as though we're going to be stuck with them for the rest of our lives, but some of them are going to hang with us a lot longer for a variety of reasons. And I think we run into a trap where we say, like you were saying, oh, well, I should be over this by now, or I should know this by now, or whatever, fill in the blank. The reality is we can only be exactly where we are at any moment in life. And the thing that I think is so important about our own growth and our own journey is to this, again, the, the core sort of underlying theme of this entire book that I wrote is self-compassion. Having compassion for ourselves. It's different than self-esteem. It's not even about self-esteem in terms of feeling good about ourselves. That's important and that's really valuable. But self-compassion is actually about being kind to ourselves in the moment-by-moment moment journey of life. You know, all the ups and downs, the moments where we're really proud of ourselves and we do wonderful things and we're like, wow, look, that was great. I really, that's the kind of person I want to be all the time. And the moments when we're not, the moments when I'm short with my daughters, the moments when I'm not fully present with my wife, those moments, not that I'm giving myself a pass, but can I be conscious and compassionate with myself in those moments? Or like, you, you know, you notice, oh, this part of myself it's disconnected, can you have compassion for yourself that's like, oh, there's some work there for me to do, or there's some integration there, or there's just some part of me that, you know what, I don't necessarily like that part of me so much, but can I love myself and accept myself anyway? That's really, I think, the journey and at times the challenge. Again, we put so many perfection demands on ourselves. But the reality of life is that the more we do that, the more we suffer. You know, and perfectionism is like rampant in our culture. And it's really, you know, a smokescreen for the deeper feelings of shame that a lot of us carry around that are very difficult to not only look at and talk about, but ultimately to feel if we're going to be able to process through them and let them go. Absolutely. Absolutely. I heard somebody say recently that... Um, they knew that perfectionism wasn't a reality because nothing in the universe is as stagnant as perfectionism. <laughs> no kidding. Ain't that yeah. the truth? You know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, well, you know, and Brene Brown calls it the 2010 shield, right? Mm -hmm. You think it's protecting yes. you. You think that, like, all the perfectionism, all the, like, I'm going to dot every I and cross every T and make sure it's all perfect, it's all perfect, that it's somehow going to protect us from getting hurt, from being vulnerable, but then it ends up completely weighing us down and we can't do anything. It's right. like you, you can't go anywhere. Nothing's good. It's never good enough. You can't appreciate anything. You can't enjoy anything because it's never quite perfect. And look, the scary part of it is, again, I'm a former college and professional baseball player. So I come from the world of pro sports and college sports, which is all about outcome, all about result. And it is glorified in our culture in certain environments 
sports and business and other places. Mm-hmm. Like, they'll say mm-hmm. things like, you know, well, he's a real perfectionist. Like, he was never, he was never satisfied. He was always like, I mean, you hear athletes even talk about, like, I've always been motivated by the fear of losing. And it's like, I appreciate the honesty of it if that's true. But there's something inside my own being when I hear that, that, like, I can relate to that. But I also think, gosh, you know, I don't think that's how I want to live. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, think that's I how I want to be, that I'm walking around constantly. You know, in business, I mean, I do a lot of work in the corporate world, and there's this sense of, like, we've got to go get the competition, or we got to, no, don't get cocky, because, you know, they're going to come and get us, or, you know, we've got to keep market share, and, and all these things, and I, I totally get it. I, it's not even a judgment. It's like, that's the reality a lot of times of that world, but it's like, that's coming from a pretty fear-based, scarce mentality, which is often, again, the world in which we live, if we're not conscious and mindful about it, to choose to live a different way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, coming from that center is a real different place. Yeah. Yeah. So you talk also about being valuable because you're you. That's one of the hardest things I think it is for us to really wrap our heads around, that I'm not valuable because of what I do or what I can achieve or what I can you know, make you yeah. do or whatever. I'm just valuable because I'm me. Yeah. And, you know, that one is, man, that's a big, I think that's one of the most essential things and, and something that I'm continually practicing. You know, my girls are eight and five, right? So they're still little. And I know you've raised kids and they're grown now. And, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I started playing this game, I write about this in the book, but I started playing this game with my girls a couple of years ago. You know, my older daughter, Samantha's eight, my little one's five. And, I would ask him this question. I would say, hey, you know, Rosie's the little one. I'd say, hey, Rosie, how much does Daddy love you? And then she raises her hands. We still, we play this game almost every day. She raises her hands up as high as she can. This much, Daddy. And I say, that's right. And then I ask him a really important question to follow it up. I say, how come Daddy loves you so much? And what they say, Andrea, in response to that question is, because I'm me. Hmm. That's great. And I say, that's right, honey, just because you're you. And the thing is, look, I do that for them, absolutely, because, look, I want them to get that message from me, especially at the age they are, especially as girls. Like, I don't just love them because they're cute. I don't just love them, right, when they wear a little pretty dress or when they do the right thing or when they score a goal in the soccer game or all the things that, right, I love them because they're them. Now, look, Mm -hmm. as a parent, I mean, it's easier when they follow the rules and they listen and they're being sweet and all that stuff, So, right, but I want them to get that message from me, but I also do it for myself for two reasons. One, as a parent, my own conscious mindful practice of parenting is like, I got to remember that's my commitment. Unconditionally love them. Unconditionally love them. Even when they're bugging me and look, and they're little now. I mean, I got the teen years to go through and lots of other stuff. So I'm, gonna, I'm sure as you probably know better than I do, I'm going to have to keep reminding myself of that commitment throughout the process. But the more personal reason that I do it, Andrea is for myself. Cause even in my life right now at 40 years old, and even though I know better, and even though I've done a lot of work, I get caught more often than I'd like to even admit, where I'm focused more on thinking that my value is about the external. My value is about what I do, how I look, what kind of accomplishments, all of those things. And it's a constant reminder. It's a practice for me to come back to. My value is inherent. It's not based on whether people like what I'm saying right now as you and I are talking. I mean, I want people to resonate and relate to what I'm saying, absolutely. But my value isn't contingent upon it. I want to have success and accomplish things in my life. Of course I do. But my value isn't contingent upon that because if it is, then I can't have any real peace with myself. And I think that's such an important message. And we don't get that message in our culture because what gets celebrated is 
beauty. What gets celebrated is success outwardly. What gets celebrated is accomplishments in all these ways. And look, I'm a three on the Enneagram, so I'm an achiever, performer by sort of my personality nature. So this one is really, really important for me to be mindful of because that achievement thing is like a really intense drug for me. If I'm not careful, I can go off down that path without even noticing it, and i got to watch it. Yeah, yeah. I think we all do. I mean, I, I can't speak for you personally, but I think we all have to watch that because it's not, like you just said, it's not a concept that's presented to us in our schools, in yeah. our politics, in our, you know, there, nowhere do we hear that you're valuable just because you're you. We hear you're valuable if you can. Yes. Yeah. And Absolutely. that's just. Yeah. yeah. No, I think I think that it's it's for sure. You know, you get look. I mean, and I watch this with my girls especially, but I watch how people respond to them. I mean, they're yeah, you know, they're little girls. They're five and eight. They're cute, but lots of oh, look at you! Aren't you so pretty? Look at your hair! Look at your dress! Mm-hmm. Isn't that right? And so it's like we wonder why young girls and young women and women grow up with issues about their body and appearance. Right? It's a lot of reasons for it. But what kind of feedback are we giving? Or I watch. Listen again. It's not all about gender, but with little boys. Oh, look, way to go. Oh, good. Look, look, you've got a strong arm. I mean, I got that as a kid because I was a good athlete. So it was a lot of positive validation for I could throw a ball, I could hit a ball. Look, oh, people like me. And we start to unconsciously at first, but then more consciously as we get a little older going, oh, this is what makes me special. This is what makes me valuable. This is what makes me somebody, mm-hmm. right? And again, we're, and now in our culture, it's gotten to a point where it's all about at some level, you know, me, 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 look at me, look at me, look at me, pay attention to me, like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, whatever, fill in the blank, right? It's like that is, again, really, really potentially dangerous for our egos yep. because then yep, our value is. becomes I have this to show for how important I am. Yes. And that's yes, not indeed. really what impact is about. That's not what really what value is about. Those things are much deeper and more real than that. But we all right. get caught up in the superficial aspects of it. Absolutely. So we're going to come back and talk about that, the impact, the value, in just a few more minutes. Stay yep. tuned for more. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Outside the Box is your thrival guide to living outside this reality. Are you always waiting for your ship to come in? Do problems happen to you? What if you created your life rather than sitting by waiting? Do you live in the fantasies of this reality? Winning the lottery? Waiting for your prince, princess to come? Even being healthy? Do you always do what is expected of you rather than choosing for you? What if the rules didn't apply? And what if you could thrive from a different space? Join host Lynn Waldrop for tools to being outside the box. Listen Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. 
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Well, I want to be sure that you tune in to Super Soul Sunday this coming up Sunday, Mother's Day, May the 11th, 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern and Pacific Time. Oprah's going to be interviewing uh, Ariana Huffington on her big wake-up call. Uh, Ariana Huffington is an entrepreneur and media mogul, and she's there to discuss the surprising spiritual wake-up call that shifted her perception of success. They will also talk about why it's critical to redefine what it means to be successful in today's world in order to thrive, as well as Ariana's new book, Thrive, the third metric to redefining success and creating a life of well-being, wisdom, and wonder. Here's that clip now. I actually collapsed from exhaustion on April 6, 2007, two years after I had founded the Huffington Post. I hit my head on my desk, broke my cheekbone, I got four stitches on my right eye. I was very lucky I didn't lose my eye. And then you sort of, you went unconscious and then woke up and you were in your I own in a pool, pool of blood. blood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then, in a way, what was worse is that I had to go from doctor to doctor, from MRI to echocardiogram, to find out what was wrong with me. You know, did I have a brain tumor? They didn't know what was wrong. Mm-hmm. And they discovered there was nothing medically wrong with me, but just about everything wrong with the way I was leading it my life and what I was prioritizing. And, wait, you know, doctors' waiting rooms are great places to ask life's big questions. Well, you know, to ask there. Super Soul yeah. Sunday questions. Yes, and big so, questions, yeah. you know, I was asking myself, is this success? You know, by conventional definitions of success, I was successful. Right. By any sane definition of success, if you are lying in your own pool of blood, on your office floor, you're not successful. Because you are so exhausted. Because you're so exhausted that you collapsed. Wow. That goes right along with what we're talking about today, doesn't it, Mike? It does. It does. I actually, I love Ariana Huffington. I've had the honor of speaking at a few events where she's been speaking as well and heard her tell that story a few different times, but I think it's such an important message. I think her book, Thrive, I was actually just in an event in New York a couple weeks ago that she was doing all about this whole third metric of success, which is really about getting away from money and power and all the conventional things and really going much deeper into what truly matters, what's important to us. And having people like Ariana Huffington as an example out there in the world and so passionately talking about these things really makes me happy. (laughs) Absolutely. Me too. Me too. I think we're all evolving because of you and people like you and Ariana Huffington and Oprah and lots of other people to a, to a better place. Uh, yeah. So I want to talk about um, this whole thing about two things I want to talk about before we go today. Um, uh, well, one of those is I want you to uh, let the listening audience know more about how they can connect with you. So let's go ahead and do that right now. Well, the best way to connect with me is at my website, which is mike-robbins.com. That's M-I-K-E hyphen R-O-B-B-I-N-S dot com. 
Okay. Your books are there and, and anything yep. else that you want to know about. Absolutely. She's there, and if right. people go to mike-robbins.com slash book, we actually have some cool bonus material that's up there that's connected to the book itself. So when you order the book, you get some cool audio downloads and video things that are, are pretty neat, some interviews I've done with some people. So that's a pretty fun page to check out on the site specifically. Absolutely. Go there and get your freebies. Yeah. Okay. All right. So I want to talk about the, the two topics I really wanted to talk about before we go was um, comparing and forgiving yourself because I think those two things go hand in hand. Oh, they do, don't they? You know, yes. I mean, I think that the comparing thing, you know, so many of us, I think, struggle with this one. And again, I think nowadays, you know, there's so much sharing that goes on in, in a great way, right? I mean, there's, it's, there's a light and dark to it, I think, the whole, you know, social media. Hey, look at me. Hey, look what I'm doing. Hey, look what I had for dinner. Look where I'm going on vacation. And, but it's so easy to get caught. I mean, I shared this story in the book, but I got an email from someone a few years ago who said, hey, you, have you, do you know this guy? And I didn't. It was a, another author or speaker. Um, you should check him out. He's really great. And I went to his website. And within like 30 seconds, Andrea, I was like, feeling terrible about myself. Oh my, look at him. He's so good. He's so smart. He's so like, it just immediately, my judgment was this guy was better than me and had so many things more, you know what I mean? All that. My little ego was, was all bruised. And, and I think, again, it's so easy for us to go down that path. And it just, it just is, it's talk about sort of instant suffering. And, you know, again, having compassion for ourselves, are we going to compare ourselves to other people? Yes. Can we have some compassion and practice not doing it so much, being grateful for other people's success, learning from people? But again, the thing about comparison is we think it's about, you know, the, the negative side of it is thinking that someone else is better than we are. But in reality, it's the same coin. Heads, they're better than us. You know, tails, we're better than them. But either way, it's the same energy and ultimately it doesn't really lead us to connection and to where we want to be. And, and, and the other piece of this, the one that you asked about forgiving ourselves, you know, that can be another tricky one too. You know, I just led a workshop about a month ago at Esalen um, out here in California near where I live. And, and the workshop was all about loving ourselves and accepting ourselves. A lot of the core messages from my new book. And I didn't expect this because it was the first time I'd actually led this workshop. We ended up spending almost an entire day on self-forgiveness. And I had sort of planned it to be just a little piece. But once we started delving into forgiveness, two things came out from the group. One was people were really like, wow, I don't even really know how to forgive myself. And then once we started to get into, it's about willingness. It's about openness. It's about even if you don't know how, just being willing to being willing to forgive yourself and let yourself off the hook for things maybe you've been holding against yourself for many, many years. Then once we got into that process, there was so much emotion and so much in the room, if you will, that people really were holding on to, that I was amazed myself, wow, we need more opportunities and more places where we can practice self-forgiveness. Because we're good at beating ourselves up. We're good at holding grudges against ourselves. Not always so good at letting those things go. So uh, tell me this. Is self-compassion the same as forgiving yourself? It's a little different. I mean, forgiving yourself is about something. I mean, they're definitely related. Forgiving yourself is about looking at places in your life, situations, circumstances, things that have happened, specific things that you're holding on to from the past that you're still beating yourself up. Why did I do this? Why didn't I do that? You know, I missed this opportunity. I should have done this. I let that person go, whatever. 
forgiving ourselves is letting go of that resentment that we're holding against ourselves, just like forgiving another person. Compassion, self-compassion, there's compassion we bring to forgiveness. Self-compassion is more of an in-the-moment phenomenon. We practice it in the moment. You can practice forgiveness in the moment too, but it's really about can I treat myself, can I interact with myself, and ultimately with others in life from a place of compassion right now. How would I, you know, I saw something from Brene Brown online, a great quote. She said, talk to yourself as you would to someone you really love. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that's the thing. Again, think of our children. Think of our pets. Think of the, you know, the people, the, uh, the entities outside of ourselves where it's easy for us to come from that compassionate place. It's turning that around and actually doing that for ourselves right now in the moment. Forgiveness oftentimes is I make a mistake. I have something I'm upset about I don't like. Maybe it was yesterday, last week. Maybe it was 20 years ago but I'm still holding on to it like a resentment and a grudge. Can I let that go? Yeah. And letting it go is a form of self-compassion because it's only eating you up. Absolutely. And one of the best ways we can love ourselves is to forgive ourselves. And it's the same thing with other people. You know, one of my mentors is is Dr. Fred Leskin, who started the Stanford Forgiveness Project. He's a professor at Stanford. And I've learned so much from Fred over the years. And one of the things that, you know, Fred has talked to me a lot about in, in, in the context of forgiveness, and he's an expert in forgiveness, is that forgiveness is really a gift you give to yourself. Mm-hmm. That holding a grudge against another person is actually damaging to you. Of course, it's damaging to the relationship. But, and then the, some of the most intense grudges that we hold are against ourselves. Absolutely. So can we be willing to let go of some of that? Yeah. Yeah, I remember talking to someone one time about, you know, talking to yourself like uh, you would someone you love. And I said, um, you know, would you would you use that tone of voice and those words if you were talking to a child? And she just looked at me and went, well, probably. I said, okay, <laughs> let's, let's, let's rethink this. Would you talk to your dog that way? Oh, no, no, I would never talk to my dog that way. So right. we have to think about somebody that we love and or something, some, some animal that we love that, you know, we really would not talk to that way and ask ourselves, what, what's the difference between us and that person yeah. or that animal? Yeah. yeah. And it has everything to do with uh, all, the, all the things we're trying to get ourselves to do. Most of us, wouldn't you agree, uh, Michael, were, were raised in a kind of basically shaming atmosphere where we're, yeah. we're taught that shame is how we motivate ourselves. Yeah. Well, and the thing about shame that's so pervasive and why it's so important for us to really do our own inner shame work is that shame is one of the most potent and intense emotions that we experience as human beings. And if we don't process it, the only thing that we can do, and we don't usually do it maliciously, is that we dump it on other people. And that's what a lot of our parents did with us. And this is not about blaming our parents or whoever, right. but we dump our shame because we can't, we, we know we need to get rid of it. There's healthy ways to process shame, and then there's other ways to process it. And part of how we do that is that we dump it in. It literally gets passed down from generation to generation. It's like, it's like an old burlap sap that it's like, well, grandma didn't know what to do it, so she gave it to mom. Mom didn't know what to do, she gave it to you. And you're like, I'm going to pass it on to my kids because, you know, and again, we don't mean harm. We don't want to harm them. But it's a way to motivate, it's a way to get attention, it's a way to, but it's also an unhealthy way of us to try to process that. And that's why, you know, Brene Brown is someone I love and really appreciate her work and all of her work on vulnerability gets a lot of attention, but she wrote a book called, I thought it was just me, that's all about shame. It's actually uh-huh. one of her very first books and her work and a lot of her research is really about shame, which is still very difficult. We're now talking about vulnerability more thanks to her and other people, but shame is one of those ones 
it's tough. It's kind of like grief. It's like, ooh, it's got sort of hard edges around it, even as a word. Like, we don't really, what does that mean? I don't really want to talk about that. That sounds bad, right? Yeah, but right. it's so liberating when we actually can do some shame work and really get in there and start to work with our shame and release it because it frees us up. And then our tendency to pass it on to other people is much less likely. Yeah, and not only is it is that less likely, but we're less likely to have to forgive ourselves later too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, so that whole that okay. So processing through shame. Can you say just a little bit more about how somebody might do that? Well, part of it is. I mean, I've you know over the years found some different audios and different meditative processes that I've personally worked with. That it's really about. I mean, it's literally one of the techniques that I've done meditatively, metaphysically is going back in, and most of my parents have passed on, but I've had conversations with them sort of in a visualization where I literally hand it back and say, this is yours. This isn't right. mine. I'm giving it back to you. Thank you very much. You know what I mean? Like, I will need, I got enough stuff I got to deal with in my own life. I don't need to take on yours as well. <laughs> so that's one right. thing to do. Not from a place of blaming my parents, but just like, hey, you know, they did the best they could. Just like I'm doing the best I can with my girls, right? We all do, but it's like there's a bunch of stuff that I got from them that wasn't helpful. So giving that back, that's exactly. one way that we can start to do that. And then start to, another thing is to talk to that inner child and that inner adolescent. Remind him or her of how valuable they are. Because yeah. that's a place where a lot of the shame that we pick up as kids and as adolescents starts to bleed through in our adult lives because it's literally like handing the keys to the you know, bus, if you will, of our life over to a seven-year-old and he or she's driving and crashing the bus, we got to lovingly move them out of the driver's seat and say, thank you, I'll take that, you go be seven. But it's a, literally a, an ongoing dialogue. I'm constantly talking to my own little boy and my adolescent that lives inside of me right now because that's often the place where I get most triggered and where I carry a lot of my own shame. Yes, absolutely. I'm so glad you said it that way too. That there's there, there are there's uh, the way I think about it is sort of a committee inside of us, and they oh, all yeah. have a voice, yeah. and they are all speaking to us uh, in rapid succession, very yeah. often. Uh, and 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 what you've said there is that dialoguing with them and opening the room for dialogue doesn't yeah. mean that you're not the chairman of the board, but it does there mean you, you hear the different voices and you begin to be able to deal with those. There you go, and that's the key: is that we be, we we are the chairperson, right? We've got to be in charge. That we listen in the spiritual adult, the wise, evolved person that we are. Not perfect, but we're in charge, and we get to say thanks for sharing. I'm going to go ahead and do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and to be able to recognize that those voices are just a part of, you know, our whole life challenge and not yep. that that means something about, oh, well, I've got that voice. That means I'm, I'm not there yet, whatever right. that means, yep. whatever there is. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, and your book clarifies that so beautifully, Mike. And I, I really want to say I really appreciate not only the work that you did with this book, but the work that you're doing on yourself so that you can do this book. Because that's really, really important. I Thank think that's you. that's a big piece. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to be ending for this uh, this program for today, and uh, I really do appreciate you being here, Mike, to talk with our listening audience. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the trouble with suffering. What is that all about? We're going to go a little bit more into depth with that next week. So you want to be here for that, uh, and just sort of get a hold of whatever it is that's got a hold of you. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. 
Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.